This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Yeah, so we went into the thicket, <laughs> crouched deep into the thicket, <laughs> looking for a tree. So we decided on one. When I shook the snow off, it was like 90% snow and 10% tree. Mostly air. It was mostly air. <laughs> but at that point, we were tired, we were hungry, and we were ready for a beer. So that was it. That was the that, perfect tree. That was the one. We had had enough. <laughs> Cut this sucker down. It's funny, though, because the rule said that the trunk diameter couldn't be more than six inches in circumference. Yeah. This was like a half inch. This was like pulling a big weed. It was like a, it was like a large weed. I don't even think we need a permit for this. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. On today's episode, we're talking about Christmas trees, specifically everything you need to know about the program run by the National Forest Service, where you can buy a permit online and head out to your national forest to cut down your own Christmas tree. We will be sharing our experience in Montana this December as we wandered through Flathead National Forest with a permit in hand, looking for that perfect tree for our National Forest Service cabin. And there's no such thing as a perfect tree, is there, Karen? (laughs) Well, we found that out, didn't we? (laughs) Yes, we did. you're going to be able to do this recording without coughing up a lung? Are you sure you're going to be able to do that? (laughs) Wow. Uh, Your concern is touching, especially since you are the one who gave me this cold in the first place. Yeah, I don't think I did. (laughs) Before we start, maybe you should uh, bring me some tea with a little whiskey in it to help me get through this episode. I've never seen you drink tea ever. (laughs) Okay, well, maybe just the whiskey then. Yeah, we could, we could get y'all whiskeyed up for this. <laughs> That's what we need, I think, to make this podcast, uh, to take it up a notch. You and I, let's, let's do a shot of whiskey. Are let's, you in? Yeah, I'm, I'm in. Let's, <laughs> okay. just, let's just talk into the microphones, Karen. <laughs> All right, so let's get started. You okay, know okay. how I always like to kick off our episodes with a little pop quiz. Oh. All right, great. <laughs> I love that. I, I, lo- I love the pop quiz. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> no. Since we're talking about Christmas trees today, my question for you is, what country is credited with bringing the Christmas tree tradition to America? Okay. You so have, you I have 10 ha- seconds. I might have a different opinion on the answer because sometimes you, you think you're right. Okay, it's not an opinion. It it's, is it's, it's no, a black it is because it's, it's. I've actually researched this, not even knowing that there was going to be a pop quiz. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, first of all, we watched the series Victoria, and on that series, they they pretty much tried to credit Prince Albert for inventing the tradition, but I don't think that's accurate. Of course, he was German, right? Uh huh. I think he brought the tradition to England, but I think it was a tradition in Germany first. So that's. 
That's part of my answer. What answer do okay. you, do well, you have? <laughs> okay, I like your answer, and it actually is partially correct. But the the question <laughs> was, we weren't talking about who brought it to England. We're talking about what country brought it to America. So are you standing by that answer? Okay, so who invented the, <laughs> the tradition of sticking a Christmas tree up your butt? <laughs> <laughs> before we <laughs> before we record our own Christmas tree podcast, you have ten seconds. <laughs> okay, I see where this is going. Uh-huh. So I'll just ding, ding, ding. You are correct, Matt. <laughs> Thank it's you, Germany. <laughs> the first record of one being on display here in America was in the 1830s by the German settlers who lived in Pennsylvania. Although trees had been a tradition in many uh, German homes much earlier, as earlier as 1747, but as late as the 1840s, Christmas trees here were seen as pagan symbols and were not accepted by most Americans at that time. However, by the 1890s, Christmas ornaments were arriving from Germany and the popularity of Christmas trees was on the rise around the United States. So this is kind of an interesting thing I read that Europeans used small trees about four feet in height, while Americans, like everything else, they like their Christmas trees big. They like them to reach from floor to ceiling. You expected me to give that answer when you you asked the pop quiz? (laughs) No, I just wanted one word, the name of the country. Oh, no, I gave you you more than than an answer. This was just bonus. All right, so that's it for our episode today, folks. Hope you have, Merry Christmas. Hope you have a happy new year. <laughs> I have one more thing to say about that. Okay. This is kind of interesting. So by 2019, the number of Christmas trees sold was up to 26.2 million. Is that the most recent year uh, data is available? That is. I don't know why they don't have 2020. Maybe it was because such a bust of a year that nobody was keeping records of anything. (laughs) Anyway, so let's get started. We just got back from our annual mid-December trip to a Forest Service cabin in Montana with our friends Craig and Aya. Yeah, I love, that's one of my favorite trips of the year. We do, we, we do that every year. We do. And if you've had a chance to listen to episode number 18 called Winter in Yellowstone and Glacier National Parks, you'll know about some of our past experiences renting these Forest Service cabins. Yeah, it's a great way to get away from the hustle and bustle of the Christmas or holiday season. Just take a little break, a few days of a break and get out into the wilderness and enjoy the holiday season that way. I always feel like you can find the true magic of Christmas in these wilderness places and in Glacier and in Yellowstone and in all the national forests. I just feel like with the snow coming down, it's just, it's truly magical. Yeah. And then you get to poop in an outhouse in the woods (laughs) when it's negative 10, there's a hole there and it's just, it's magical. Nothing says good morning like, like a, a t- being stuck to the toilet seat. <laughs> when it's minus 11 out. Waiting for your body heat to thaw you, to unstick you from a toilet seat in the middle of the forest with no help anywhere. And I could holler for help. But there's no way you guys are going to come help me. <laughs> well, I know. Because the outhouse is like what? 25 yards away from the cabin. Yeah, like, no, I think you're just afraid of what you might find in there. 
<laughs> okay. Also, if anyone is thinking that that sounded good, yeah. <laughs> there's also no electricity in most of these forest so, service cabins. So bring your headlamp when I holler. <laughs> Oh, but it is fun. It was a great trip. Great trip. It's my favorite trip of the year. Uh, yeah. Uh, so this year we were back in a cabin in Flathead National Forest near Glacier National Park. Now Flathead National Forest runs along the south side and the west side of Glacier, kind of surrounds the park in that area. Yeah, I don't know if we're just getting lucky, but all of our National Forest December trips We've had pretty good snow. I know. And not only is, has there been some snow on the ground, like anywhere from you know six inches to a couple of feet, but while we're there, it snows a little bit, so it freshens it up every day. I know, and we love to go. The thing we do is we go out snowshoeing in the park, and this year, I don't know if we weren't paying attention in past years, but this year we saw a ton of fresh animal tracks in the snow. I think there were more this year. I mean, we're on this... We're snowshoeing on a road that has two feet of snow on it. And, I, you know, the animals, like, it's easier for them to walk on the road instead of through the forest if they want to get somewhere. So Yeah, they're a, smart. <laughs> yeah, they, there's a lot of, lot of tracks. We couldn't really identify all the tracks because we're not... Um, <laughs> Wildlife experts. We're not, wild, we're not actually <laughs> experts on anything. <laughs> but, it, <laughs> but we had fun guessing. Yeah. Yeah. We saw this one set of tracks. Each each paw print, I guess it was a paw, was about four a four-inch circle, four inches in diameter. And then it was kind of deep because the snow was deep. But then when we looked into this like circle hole, you could see claw prints at the at the very top of the circle. There were claw prints uh-huh. in the circle hole. Right. In the circle hole. <laughs> the circle That's hole. the scientific explanation. Other, there were other circle <laughs> circle holes that it, were obviously hooves. So this was a non-hooved. Right. Mammal. I, I guess it's a mammal. I guess it would be. Yeah. So first we thought, because of the claw marks, we jumped to the conclusion that it was a bear, a really big grizzly bear who was out looking for us. W- with four-inch paws. <laughs> <laughs> but and then reality kicked in, and then we thought, oh, it's a cute little small black bear out in the forest looking for us. Who was thinking this? <laughs> I was. You were... But we took pictures and we kind of molded over and we decided that it was probably, because again, we're experts, we decided that it was probably a wolverine. I think that's a good guess. Do you still think it's a wolverine now that you've come back? What do you think? Well, I was even more convinced because what I found was, and and I didn't know this before we left, so experts on wolverines, which by the way is in the weasel family, say that the Highline Trail in Glacier National Park is the best place in the world to spot a wolverine. Well, there you go. And who knew? We were on the Highline Trail in August. Yeah. I was just trying not to fall off the trail. I wasn't even looking for wolverines. They were probably right there. Yeah, no, we didn't we didn't see any of the weasel family. We didn't. So researchers have documented that there are more than 50 wolverines in Glacier National Park. Actually, it's the densest population of this species in the lower 48. Well, then it's wolverine. So let's just call it. I think that's absolutely right. I have some really good photos. We we should enhance and enlarge those and, and get a real expert to look at them. We should. Yeah. But, but what else could it be? Well, I think the other possibility is maybe it was a porcupine. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
No, it's not a porcupine. Because yeah. that's not as fun of a story. <laughs> so forget that. Edit that out. It's not a porcupine. It was definitely, definitely one of the 50 wolverines. Okay. I think it was number 17. So that's the story we're going with. Now, how did we even get started talking about weasels anyway? I, I don't know, but I, I always like talking about weasels. <laughs> Welcome to the Dear Bob and Sue Weasel Podcast. We're gonna, yeah, we'll title this Weasels in the Wild or something. So anyway, backtracking to the Christmas tree part of this episode, last year it occurred to us as we were sitting in our little forest service cabin, how festive it would be to have a Christmas tree in the cabin. So this trip, we did something new. We got a permit online before we left Seattle to cut down our own Christmas tree in Flathead National Forest. Yeah, so I dug up all of our battery-operated Christmas lights, which, by the way, we have quite a few. I don't know why we have so many, so, because there's no electricity in the cabin. Right. And then I had to like find a pile of batteries. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah, so we, we, were, would we have, were ready. We were ready. When I got online to get the permit, I read about um, all the rules that are involved. Because we're rural followers. Oh, absolutely. So we just wanted to talk about a few of these rules for a second. Now, every national forest makes its own rules, and they charge their own price for the permit. So it can vary between, I believe, about $5 to $25. Yeah, you told me that 88 national forests in the United States participate. Uh Uh-huh. And there's over two. 100,000 tree permits each year sold. That's a lot. It is a lot. I know. A lot of people are out doing this. So you can buy it locally at at your local ranger station, Forest Mm -hmm. Service ranger station, or you can get it online at uh, recreation.gov. Yeah, I think that's new, this online at recreation.gov. I think they were trying to make it easier for people, and especially during COVID, to not have to go into the ranger stations. So, I mean, it couldn't be simpler just to get online and buy it that way. So a couple of the rules that we had specifically for Flathead National Forest, the tree that you cut down cannot be taller than 12 feet, and the stump diameter can't be more than six inches around. You've got to watch the stump diameter. You have on to, that. yes. Yeah, we brought our stump diameter measurement <laughs> tool so that we didn't violate that rule. That's right. We follow the rules. And you also can't cut a tree down that's visible by major roads. You can't cut trees down in campgrounds or well-used areas so and you you need to take and i like this you you can't just take the top of the tree right like you can't say oh here's a 30 footer but i only want the top 10 feet that's that's wrong you can't just cut the top off and they all would also prefer that you choose a tree from a densely forested area so if there's one tree in a meadow all by itself that's Aww. been there year after year. Don't yeah. go cut that Don't down. Don't go cut that one no. down. <laughs> also, make sure that you are on national forest land. Uh, there's no cutting trees in the national parks or state parks or any other public lands. Yeah, and it was helpful for us. We had our Gaia GPS app that mm-hmm. showed what, what jurisdiction we were in while we were looking because we went all over hill and dale. That's right. You definitely <laughs> need something like that or a good map. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So briefly for History Channel today, I just wanted to talk about the history of the Forest Service tree cutting system because I thought it was kind of interesting. This is technically your second History Channel (laughs) episode. No, the first one was a pop quiz. Yeah, it felt a little History (laughs) Channel-like. All right. Well, you go get that whiskey and I will just uh, get through this before you get back. All right. Very good. (laughs) Okay. By 1939, it was estimated that Americans bought 9 million Christmas trees a year, and most of these came from private farms, but over 10% were on public lands. So what was happening at that time was harvesters would go out and they would chop down trees on public lands and they would resell them to make money. So at the time, the Forest Service knew that thinning out these small Douglas fir trees was largely beneficial, but they soon realized that they needed to issue some kind of regulations because, for instance, in Montana, huge swaths of trees were being cut down for profit. I have nothing to add. It's, not, it's your History Channel <laughs> okay. show. You're going to go off and do, you're going to go off and do your own show, are you? Karen Smith's <laughs> History Channel, whatever she wants to talk about. Well, we have some exciting things in store in 2022. <laughs> the but, history of weasels. Okay. That was okay. what's going to be our first episode. Matt, could I just get through this? <laughs> I don't know. Can you? <laughs> Let's just wrap this up. By the 1950s, National Forest started to reclaim control over this widespread Christmas tree cutting. And in 1956, the San Isabel National Forest in Colorado decided to formalize the process, hoping to create a community event while containing the cutting to places that needed thinning anyway. They invited families to make a day of it. So that idea spread, and today, as we mentioned, more than 80 national forests run Christmas tree cutting programs, and now most offer the required permits online, making it easy to figure out where and how to cut down your own Christmas tree. (laughs) Ta-da! There you go. Okay, so let's bring it back to today. Okay. So Karen, tell everybody, why is it a good thing that we're cutting trees down in our forests? We're going out and cutting what, what did you say, 200,000 trees a year out of our forest? Why is that a good thing? That's right. And a lot of a lot of people might think that this is a terrible idea, but actually it's a really great idea. And the Forest Service encourages everyone to go out and cut down their own tree. And the reason is, is because our forests are overstocked. They are overcrowded. You know, we have a history of fire suppression in this country. This has allowed small trees that might have otherwise burned to crowd our forests with a thick understory. Yeah, the understory will get you every time. It will time. get you every time. <laughs> and so that's right. what we're trying to cut down, <laughs> trying to reduce the understory. Forest managers know that this is unhealthy and even dangerous because what happens is these small trees act as ladder fuels and they help fire reach into the forest crown where it's harder to control and it does more damage to the big trees. 
So they should rename it, go cut down a ladder fuel tree. Right. What you're cutting down is ladder fuel. Yeah, we should have cut down more, more of those ladder fuels. Actually, I think you can buy, in some forests, you can buy multiple permits. So let's say you want to put three trees in your house, then you buy three different permits. I know that was an option on the Flathead National Forest website. Yeah, because the Flathead National Forest is overstocked with ladder fuel. That's right. An understory. Mm-hmm. So we can all do our part to help clear out this fuel that, that's contributing to some of these horrific fire seasons that we've had. Well, we did what we could. We got our mm-hmm. permit on recreation.gov for five bucks. We printed it out, had it with us. You had it on your person. <laughs> While we were hunting for our tree? That's right. We headed out after we got to our cabin. We unloaded all of our stuff and we decided that the first thing we should do would be go chop down our Christmas tree. So we all got into our truck and we headed out to the forest. Now, you always have these fantasies, right? <laughs> and I think what you were expecting was when we got to the cabin, is there would be a sleigh. And and some horses. (laughs) That would have been nice. Um, Maybe a lumberjack in buffalo check, red red and black shirt. Uh, That was you. Oh, that's right. That was me. Yeah, that's right. That that part of the fantasy came true Uh Uh, with the shiny axe. And we would go cut the best looking 11 and a half foot tree down in the forest. We would put it on the back of the sleigh. The horses would prance back Mm -hmm. to our cabin and everything would be wonderful. You left out that it would be gently snowing and that from somewhere there would be Christmas music playing. Didn't quite happen that way, did it? Well, it didn't because in my fantasy, we're wandering through the forest hand in hand. But what we didn't take into account on this particular trip, because we had just gotten there, is that the snow was deep. Yeah. When we were preparing to get into the Forerunner, not the sleigh, Aya was putting on her snowshoes. And we all looked at her like, we don't need snowshoes. And she was the only one who had sense. And we talked her out of it. Yeah, we said, oh, that's that's not a good idea. We needed <laughs> snowshoes as soon as we got out of the truck. Of course we did, because what happened was we drove around and drove around on these National Forest Service roads, and either the road had been plowed, but on either side of the road, there was now a 10-foot uh, pile of snow that we couldn't get through or the road was unplowed, and when we stopped and tried to get out, we were floundering. Pretty with- much crotch level. <laughs> crotch level snow. So if you're ever wondering what it's like to walk through really deep snow without snowshoes on. <laughs> we found out. Yeah. And so we were pretty much limited to trees that were in areas that the snow hadn't piled up too high. Because you got to go, you can't just cut a tree down right next to the road. Right, that's a no-no. No, and so we had to uh-huh. get off the road enough. And of course, I mean, this is, in all seriousness, this is part of the problem, is the there's a whole bunch of little trees amongst the big ones, but since they don't get a lot of sunlight, they're all scrawny. <laughs> and so like, it, it was kind of hard to find a, a Christmas-worthy tree. It was, and it seemed like, like we found a perfect one. These were all covered in snow, mind you. So we found one that looked beautiful, but when Craig shook it off, it turned out it was like four trees growing into one, right. and it was too big. That didn't work. That didn't work. And then I know you found one, and you shook the snow off, but it was too little. This is like the Goldilocks and the Three Bears story. Right. I, 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 was, I just wanted it to end. I know you did. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then we found one that looked really good until we shook the snow off, and it had a bad side to it because it was kind of growing against a big tree. <laughs> they all have a bad side, don't they? No, they do. So about two hours, three hours later, after driving aimlessly down the road, we finally sort of spotted a thicket back in the forest. <laughs> a thicket. You just made that up. A thicket. <laughs> of like kind of picture perfect looking trees. Yeah. Yeah. So we went into the thicket. <laughs> we went crotch deep into the thicket <laughs> looking for a tree. So we decided on one. When I shook the snow off, it was like 90% snow and 10% tree. Mostly air. It was mostly air. <laughs> but at that point, we were tired, we were hungry, and we were ready for a beer. So that was it. That was the that, perfect tree. That was the one. We had had enough. <laughs> Cut this sucker down. It's funny, though, because the rule said that the trunk diameter couldn't be more than six inches in circumference. Yeah. This was like a half inch. This was like pulling a big weed. It was like a, it was like a large weed. I don't even think we need a permit for this. Well, you did saw it down in like two seconds. Was, it was like two strokes. And the thing weighed like... It couldn't have weighed 10 pounds. Couldn't, oh, my gosh. Couldn't have weighed 10 pounds. No. We've seen squirrels that have weighed more than that little right. Christmas tree did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was watching you and Craig attach it to the roof of our truck. And again, I had had, I had, had this vision in my head of like taking a photo of our truck with this big Christmas tree on top, like a really cool photo in the snow. This thing, you couldn't even see it. <laughs> it looked like we had brushed up against a tree. As we were driving through the forest, and like a branch got stuck on top of our truck. That's pretty much exactly what it looked like. <laughs> oh, and you had trouble, I think, getting it actually into the tree stand that we brought because it was so small, right? Yeah, and it has those little The tree stand has those four <laughs> little screws that don't quite come all the way together. And like, I don't even think two of the screws were touching the tree. <laughs> So we kind of propped it up in the corner. I think you could have just propped it up with like a banana or I something. Could have, <laughs> I could have cut a branch off of one of the trees, stuck it in there. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? We put our battery-operated lights on it, just a few, because it didn't have a lot of uh, substance to hold up the lights. And then we sat back and we looked at it, and it was it was absolutely it was perfect. It was beautiful. All it of a was... sudden it grew and filled out. <laughs> What it was in the corner there. It was a perfect Charlie Brown tree. Everyone should do this. Everyone should do this. Yeah. Instead yes. of buying those those store bought those perfect trees that they use antibiotics on and <laughs> <laughs> No, everyone should do this. I agree. It was wonderful. All right, so if we have convinced you that cutting down your own Christmas tree is something that you and your family should do, uh, let's talk about what you need to bring with you for this experience. You should bring a tree with you because <laughs> you're not going to find a good one. No, I'm just kidding. You need a permit. Yeah, you actually, it's important that you print out the permit and bring it with you. It's supposed to be displayed on your dashboard. So don't forget the permit that you bought online. Yeah, you need, uh, well, you need a vehicle that can get you... A lot of times you're up in the mountains, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it could be snowier there than the roads you took to get there. So you need a vehicle that can go through snow, bring chains or have a four-wheel drive, whatever. I mean, you, you got to know how to drive in snow. That's right. And I know we had, we always have our snatch strap in, in the car. Yeah. Uh, what else did you put in our car just in case we got stuck out in the, in the snowy Montana wilderness? 
Well, I did. So I did have the snack strap and some recovery shackles that you need. Although, in all seriousness, one suggestion is you, you might want to go with somebody else because the snack strap's not going to do you any good if if you're the only vehicle out there. You need somebody to pull you out with that strap. I mean, if you have a winch, you can pull yourself out. But uh, yeah, go with somebody else. I think that's a great idea. Take another family, and then if one of you runs into trouble, you have you have a second vehicle to help you. And also we should note that in a lot of these national forests, there is no cell phone service. So you could be out there, you could be out there on your own with no way to call for help. Yeah, so chains, some people carry those max tracks, plastic things you can put under your wheels that get you unstuck. Mm. Uh, A small shovel would help. Some people carry a small amount of cat litter in their truck to put under the wheels for extra traction. Uh, you know, another thing people do is put a, like a tube of sand in the back of the truck to give you extra weight. Sure. So those are all suggestions that, you know, normal snowy weather suggestions. Right. And then basically, in addition to that, you definitely need to bring your own saw. You'll need gloves, you know, to hold the tree with. Probably a tarp if you're going to put it on top of your truck, right, so to protect the top. Something to protect the top of mm-hmm. the truck, yeah. And then something to tie the tree onto, whether it be um, ropes or straps or or something to attach it to your car. Make sure you have appropriate winter clothing, boots, warm gloves, that that kind of stuff. Good good coat. Uh, yeah, if you have snowshoes, that yeah, would be bring, a bring good those. thing to take. We did wear um, our gaiters. Because, we did, yeah, and that did help. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, because those go about to your knee. So from the knee to the crotch wasn't uh, covered. <laughs> But bring a good map. Like we said, uh, we use Gaia GPS app because it works even when you're out of cell range because it works off the GPS of your phone. Now, electronics can go out and can run out of batteries and things like that. So maybe a good paper map. But the application also showed us if we were in the national forest or private land. And a lot of these places, you have little pockets of private land all over the place that would not be good cutting trees down off of somebody's personal property. That's right. And we were in and out in Flathead National Forest. We were in and out of forest and private land. And so Craig was our navigator in the front seat. And he would tell us, you know, nope, this is private land and and the National Forest is up ahead. So you definitely need a good map. Um, You know, this could be an all-day event. So make sure you bring food and water and make sure you have a full tank of gas yeah, start early. It's gonna t- it's gonna take you longer than you think. And in December, I mean, here in the Pacific Northwest, it's dark at four fifteen. So you definitely want to get in and out and have this adventure before it gets dark. And a suggestion we always make, almost in every episode, have a headlamp with you. Just definitely. Uh, you know, some people will rely on the flashlight on their phone just in case it gets dark, which does work too. But take a headlamp. Always carry one with you. Yes. So the National Forest Service does a good job of talking about some of these things when you get your permit, because the last thing that they want to do is have to come out and rescue people who are out with their families chopping down Christmas trees, and then they get lost or they get stuck or they run into trouble. So just know that this is an adventure and and as always, be prepared. And this is where your romantic version 
in your head can differ from the actual experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So be prepared yes. for winter conditions. Yes, there is no sleigh. There's no horse. There's no There's no lumberjack uh, with a shiny axe to save well, you. Me. Well, me. Yeah. yeah, but you're mine. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we think this is a wonderful program. The National Forest Service hopes that in addition to how it benefits the health of our forests, that the practice of getting out into the National Forest to find your Christmas tree could also help create a deep connection with the land from where it's collected. You know, there's a, a different level of engagement when you're out in the middle of a forest and you're you're touching the trees and you're looking at them and you're experiencing what it's like to be out in nature. Yeah, it's fun to just get out in it, mm-hmm. you know, be amongst the the trees, and uh, even though we kind of joked about it, it's fun when the snow's deep and you're cramping through the, the forest. It is. And, you know, it's a great way to um, create some holiday memories with your family or maybe start a new tradition while uh, doing some good for our national forests as well. So, whatever holiday tradition you celebrate, we wish you and your loved ones peace and joy and lots of time spent in the great outdoors. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back next week to close out 2021 with our mailbag episode. I know. It seems like it's been a while since we've done mailbag. It has been. Yeah. Now, if you're new to our podcast, you can see photos on our social media accounts of some of these places that we talk about. Follow us on Instagram at Matt and Karen Smith, on Twitter at Matt and Karen, and on Facebook at Dear Bob and S. Why are these all different, you ask? Matt, why are they all different? (laughs) It's because I don't know what I'm doing with social media. Now, part of the problem is our last name Smith, and so you can't get anything that ends in Smith, so we had to make up other stuff. That's right. That's why we always keep reminding everybody of where they can find us, because we are all over the map. We we are. We're everywhere. (laughs) 